As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, August 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we have a lot of news and notes to get to. Tons of injury news. It's like the the last wave of pitching injuries, hopefully, for the season. Got a bunch of guys that came back, but a bunch of guys that went on the shelf. So we just traded some previously healthy pitchers for people to see injured ones. I guess that's better than not getting the injured guys back back but it's still disappointing uh one really big punch over the weekend landed by jose ramirez we'll talk about that Yuri perez is back uh we've got chase silseth dealing in that angels rotation so we'll see if there's something going on there and then a nice group of mailbag questions on a mailbag monday i think we have to start with the the melee between the guardians and white Sox. jose ramirez throwing one of the most effective punches I have ever seen on a baseball field. <laughs> Dropping Tim Anderson with one punch, and I was reading a little bit about this. Jose Ramirez would uh, train a little bit or do some boxing training uh, like years ago, like a decade ago, and the punch he threw on Tim Anderson was a right. And if Jose Ramirez hit him with a left, which is what he wanted to do, he may have been able to do even more damage. That's uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a crazy moment. I mean the. The, uh, I mean, shades of Rifnet Odor, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I I couldn't tell right away what uh, he was so mad about, honestly, because uh, there's, it's, there's no, like, Tim Anderson is tagging him, but when I, I, I mean, I tried to slow it down on the, like, you know, whatever I was looking at on, on Twitter, and, um, yeah, I was like, maybe he got him in the face. I don't know. He stands over him a little bit, uh, Tim Anderson over Jose Ramirez. But he it's almost like not. it's not a bad thing in a way because he's opened his leg. So, he hasn't put a leg down that like Jose Ramirez is like, you know, going to slide into. So, he kind of stands around the base and tries to tag Jose Ramirez as he slides between his legs. It's, it's not that bad. But I guess maybe he tagged him hard in the face and then... I guess there's been a long-term bad blood between them. Uh, there's something last night, the night before, Tim Anderson had uh, pushed uh, Brian Rocchio's hand off of the bag 
to get an out. Um, and then apparently he'd also flicked off the entire uh, Cleveland bench at one point. And then during that game, he was jawing at Arius for some reason. So this was, I think, a little bit less about what happened in the moment and a little bit of culmination of some long-term beef. And uh even in the odor case you didn't quite have the same squaring up i mean this was like <laughs> you know this was like turned into a boxing match i think the most hilarious part of it is how the umpire at first is going to break them up and then sees them square up and just is like nope just right. backs out <laughs> yep just like just like a, a referee i'm, getting, like, I'm not nope. getting knocked out in this one <laughs> He's like yep you guys go at it <laughs> this is not going to be good for me if i stand in here so he, yeah. he let it let it happen and i mean the ramirez punch too he was being like partially restrained and sort of pulled away. I think Michael Kopech was kind of in the, the way. He's a large human being. <laughs> and he still got that punch in, which was uh, pretty impressive. So suspensions are almost certainly coming down. I saw Jose Ramirez had a couple of steals on Sunday. He's playing really well right now, too. So the suspension would come at a pretty difficult time. And I think Tim Anderson, on top of a suspension, he looked concussed. Like He fell like he was concussed. He walked off the field like he was concussed. And I don't know if we've seen any updates yet outlining that, but I think that's part of the story here as well. His season, he's hit rock bottom. I mean, Tim Anderson has hit this unexpected rock bottom this year as a result of what just happened on the field Saturday night, but leading up to that, we kept wondering, is he healthy? Is his shoulder still bothering him? He's got one home run this season. That's part of this stretch since the start of July where he's hit 281 with a 325 OBP. That's a little better than where he was but a 351 slug. So you could look at this as a lost season for Tim Anderson. I think there are a lot of questions about what's going to happen this winter. Is he going to finish the contract he's got with the White Sox? Is he going to get traded somewhere else? And can he bounce back? Those are all questions we've we've started to tackle on various episodes over the course of this season, but it just doesn't seem like things could get any worse for this guy. He's had a miserable 2023 season, and now he's probably going to miss more time. Yeah, I wonder, there's a weird uh, other news about the White Sox coming in today about Kenyon Middleton uh, making some comments to ESPN. Uh, here's what he said. He said, we, we came in with no rules. I don't know how you police the culture if there are no rules or guidelines to follow because everyone is doing their own thing. Like, how do you say anything about it? Because there are no rules. You have rookies sleeping in the bullpen during the game. Um <laughs> So there's obviously some sort of long-term White Sox culture that that somehow feeds into it. You know, the reason I brought it up is because I just wonder, you know, how uh, aggressive or how, like, how by the book, how by the rules are they going to be on this concussion thing? I like, do you think he went into concussion protocol? (laughs) Or uh, is that, is it just like, oh, boys will be boys. They fought, you know, yeah, he took a good one. And, you know, and he's back out there as soon as the suspension's over, you know. So uh, we've just seen with Anthony Rizzo that it's still possible in today's baseball where there are supposed to be rules about how you deal with a concussion that teams don't necessarily either catch every symptom or players don't report every symptom. It's there. People can fall between the tracks. Anthony Rizzo is now on the IL for a concussion he got months ago. Yeah, it happened in May. Late May, he had a collision with Fernando Tatis Jr. 
and he has not played well in the stretch since then. It's really the concussion is at least an explanation for what happened to Anthony Rizzo. Why did he fall off so much? And I think Rizzo came out and said he he didn't think this was organizational failure in in some combination of words. That was the the gist of what I got from from his camp. But if you're the Yankees, you're still kind of wondering, wait, why why do we miss this? How do we miss this? This was a, a pretty big gaffe for their their organization. Now, I, I think the the thing about the White Sox that's really interesting is that we know they've got a first-year manager, Pedro Griffel, first-year manager. Keenan Middleton did not play for the White Sox last year, but he had heard a lot of the same things were happening under Tony La Russa. So there's this organizational sort of problem, which probably has something to do with expectations that have been in the clubhouse for a few years, like some of the holdover players, right? Jose Abreu's gone, but you think about the core of Abreu and Anderson, Yolan Mancata, Luis Robert, the players that have been there for a while, like they would also have something to do with the the internal culture of the club. And it's really surprising. Maybe even more than a first-year manager. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's more than that. It, it it seems this seems like the kind of story that usually is reported about the Angels, right? Like the, this is JV stuff from the White Sox. That's it's really disappointing. It sort of explains like, well, why is this organization with, with this talent in that division getting such poor results? What's well, things like this? It's players sleeping through games in the bullpen. It's missing missing meetings. All these things that have come out. So. Is there any corollary here to to the Giants uh, to the Yankees? I mean, the Yankees keep winning and making the postseason, and they're they're always great teams. Are they underperforming? How great they are, though? Should they have won it all by now? Is this team at least this year underperforming expectations? I mean, that has to be a yes. That last one. I don't anyway, know. It's uh, he. Rizzo is clear that he does not blame the Yankees. However, I am not sure that you know <laughs> I can't make my own decision. Just because you know, I think communication is key, and communication is the biggest thing that a manager can bring to the table. And the best thing that Bob Melvin ever did for all those A's teams was keep open lines of communication with every player about their current role, about their future role, about where they can be, and what they have to do to get there. And that's how he managed to ro- do all those A's teams where everybody was in platoons and doing this and doing that and, you know, up and down and veterans that were coming in there and having to take lesser roles and stuff like that. Melvin was just a great communicator. And I think I think that's true of Bochi, too. Like, he's a calm person that tells you how it is. And, you know, everybody understands where they stand with Bruce Bochi. So I just wonder if, uh, you know, you hear stuff about like Aaron Hicks saying, I didn't know, you know, uh, I didn't know what my what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what my role was. That's weird. You know. And then you put this Rizzo thing in there and you and you just sort of like look at a team that doesn't seem to. And then the I mean the Herman thing is is crazy too. I mean, just the fact that it got to this point with Domingo Herman who must be dealing with something you know, in terms of an addiction issue because there was alcohol involved in his domestic violence case. So you have a guy who already had a domestic violence case with alcohol involved. I'm sure this wasn't the first time that Domingo Herman was drunk in the clubhouse. You know? I mean, I don't have reporting on that. I'm just saying, you know, there's like, you know, you have an ongoing issue and then this thing happens and then the response is like, you know, sweated out in the sauna and stuff. It's like... That seemed really weird. As far as what what are the people in the room, what are the adults in the room, the 
the healthcare professionals around this club actually doing if that's the response to that situation? A little bit of machismo runs through these things. Sure. You know, Aaron Hicks, just play better. (laughs) Domingo, just go sweat it out. Rizzo, you got a head, you got a headache. Psh, whatever. I mean, that's that's what it certainly <laughs> seems like from the outside looking in. Yeah, this is this is not based on a lot of reporting, but I had I had heard some of those details uh, about the fight before uh, the Herman stuff before it came out, and I was like, this is crazy that this could happen in a major league clubhouse. The Yankees underperforming expectations. Okay, well, whose expectations? Right, the expectations of projection systems or the expectations of fans you know one of those is <laughs> grounded in more reality than the other and yeah they've, they've underperformed fan expectations for sure uh, that's understandable given what is expected from the yankees each and every year we've also talked over the years about the limitations of projections with older players how older mm. player projections are more likely to lead us astray they're more likely to be overly optimistic because injuries and massive decline in performance is more likely to occur for players that are older. You did not. Yeah. You did not project Josh Donaldson for this season. Yeah. I think, but it was totally possible. (laughs) It was totally possible. The, the tricky thing is that you've got a combination of a lot of things that have gone wrong there. Carlos Rodan was a big free agent addition and it just has not worked out from a health perspective. How many days during the regular season, do you think Carlos Rodon has been 100% healthy this year? He's made six starts. He's got an ERA over seven. Like This isn't close to the guy that we've seen the last two seasons with the Giants and the White Sox. I, I, I feel feel awful that he's hurt again. He's going to have an MRI on his hamstring. It, it It's a lost season, and it's year one of a long-term deal. And I wondered even before this hamstring injury this weekend, if we reached a point where the Yankees were mathematically eliminated from the postseason, you know, with a couple weeks to play. If shutting Rodon down early might have been something on their roadmap, just to let him reset and try to go into 2024 with a clean bill of health, because this has just been miserable. So you take something like that, you pair it with Judge's toe injury. Those were two massive hits for a team that probably had a thinner margin for error than we're accustomed to. Yeah, and then if you add it all up, you, you're right uh, that the difference uh, between sort of fan expectation and projection expectation does exist because they are a 518 team. They've you know in terms of uh, winning percentage, they're only projected to be a 533 team. So if you look at sort of rest of season projections, they're no longer in the top ten, um, and so there has been a, a recalibration of expectations from a numbers standpoint. Uh, just looking at the talent that's on the field. And uh, some of that comes, I think, from in-season adjustments to predictions for Rodone and as well as Luis Severino, uh, who I have to believe is also a health reason. You know, I look at the velo for for Rodone as, you know, that's an easy place for me to find some, you know, some some issues. But, you know, end of last season, he was 94 to 96. And this season, he's been 94 to 96. I, you know, James Paxson told me that, you know, I don't know why the velo on a breaking ball is not back. So I'm now I'm looking at breaking ball velo as, an, as a proxy for health, too, you know. And Carlos Rodon's breaking ball this year has been in every start. The worst start was 84-8. 
in the last three starts it's been 86 basically and uh that's basically where it was last year so i don't see a reason for Rodon in the numbers i don't see it in the round numbers but in the results obviously it's there um severino you know a slightly different story uh because you know i don't think the velo numbers tell the same story uh necessarily his uh sliders is down a little bit this year but again actually somewhat similar the velo's there he's just not healthy somehow it's in the command maybe it's the is showing in poor command neither one of these guys is really um you know i would say like a 60 command guy so uh in any case that those two are some of the the biggest pitching busts of the year yeah, and you, you factor in Nestor Cortez missing a lot of time this year with injury. He's important he to them. He at least good when he got back. Had their third best pitching projection going into the season by war. So if you take half a season away from him on top of the Rodon problems and Severino problems, it's easy to see why the pitching's been so bad. We talk a lot about how this team has a good supporting cast with Aaron Judge, but not necessarily a great supporting cast with him. I think that's been kind of I mean, They had to find again. Jake Bowers on the waiver wire heap. So it wasn't, you know, that's not the greatest supporting cast if you're still out there scrounging around the waiver wires. And look, other teams deal with their share of injuries. This just seemed like the combination of injuries the Yankees had happened to a group of players that they just did not have the means to replace. You know, it, the injury bug bit the exact right group of players for them to fall well short of expectations so far. What does this mean for Rodon long-term? Like thinking about his past injuries before these two good seasons and now tacking this on in 2023. I mean, where do you think your expectations are going to be for the future with him? Do you think we can get something close to the result of 2022 again over even 150 innings? I mean, I think he's one of those players you would never project for whatever your full workload number is you're taking 20 or 25% off of that, given all the stuff that Rodon's had to deal with over the course of his career. Yeah, it's tough because he's been so good when he's been in, you know, recently at least. Um, and you could say, hey, what if he just gave you 2021 this year? Like, you could have said that when you were drafting him and been like, hey, I'm just hoping to get 130 innings of excellent baseball from Carlos Rodon. Like, even if he's hurt some and, you know, he's out some, like, I'm just, when he's in, He'll be good, and uh, you know I don't care. So next year you could say, "Hey, you know he's so cheap. You know if I just get a hundred innings from him." Uh, the reality of the situation is like you know now it's beginning to look like a hundred or one hundred and thirty is a good outcome from him, and that the medium outcome might be below a hundred. I mean, we have I know twenty twenty is a short season, but he basically missed all of that. You got 2019 where he had 34 uh, innings pitched, 2017 69 innings pitched. I don't know if you're. What's the over under on innings pitched for Carlos Rodon next season? I think it might be like 99. I was going to go a little higher. I was going to go more like 140. I was going to shoot for 2021. 140. He's with done a more. twice in his career. Yeah, I don't. I think that's too aggressive. If you do 120, he's done 120 five times in his career. All right, so let's go with 120. You go to 120. Like, what if you, what, but there's so many leagues where the shape of that 120 really matters. You know, like, well, yeah, because holding, holding injured players is brutal. And yeah, not having guys at the end of the season and head to head is brutal. (laughs) So that's always part of the problem. I, I think if you, if you begin 
with draft and hold and, and NFBC style leagues, you're probably going to see Carlos Rodon fall right around that pick 150 mark. Every year, that's where the injured, talented pitchers go. It's where Clayton Kershaw's lived for a few seasons, it seems. It's where Rodon was, I think, coming off of his 2021 season. So I think he's going right back in that range again where you say, hey, if this works, I'm getting ace ratios and strikeout rate over a partial season. Maybe it's three quarters of a season if it all works well, and it's two thirds of a season is my baseline expectation. And maybe that's fair value. We know you can't have a roster full of guys like that because you'll end up in a situation like the 2023 Yankees where you're chasing the waiver wire. You're chasing replacement level guys. Okay, so we fortunately will have two more months to see what happens before having to make decisions on this, but I could see, I could actually see myself with a clean bill of health through the winter being interested in a bounce back. I can't look at Rodon and say, talent's gone, just like that, because this is this is part of the package. This has been who he's been for a long time. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think this is even harder to decide on right now when you look at Shane McClanahan, who's down with forearm tightness right now. You know, you think about McClanahan and his recent injury history. Earlier this year, it was back tightness. He had a back issue that was similar to that back in 2021. He had that shoulder impingement that put him on the IL late last season, right? We all remember him warming up in the bullpen and not going starting that game. Walking straight off, yeah. Looked real bad, and fortunately it wasn't. You go further back in the history, he did Tommy John all the way back in 2016, but he's seven years removed from that, so I don't know if, if that's as much of a concern for McClanahan. He just throws really hard, stuff. throws a hard breaking ball. I think he's just you know in that upper end of, of injury risk um, due to the, the, his arsenal as much as anything. But he also doesn't have the disastrous seasons on his resume as Rodon. Is that why you're thinking it's harder? Like you, you could definitely uh, no. talk yourself into 150 innings as the over/under for him next year, unless it's unless it's TJ. It's harder for the sake that you're talking about a guy that might go near the first round. Yeah, like there's there's a much higher price. What if he doesn't pitch anymore this year, though? Don't you think he's given you? I don't know if he's given you first round value. That's that's actually we can figure this out. He Shane McClanahan, if he didn't pitch again this year but went through a normal winter and looked like he was going to be ready for opening day and not have any restrictions to start next season. I think he'd probably be a third rounder going into next season. Maybe Something in that pick 35 to 45 range. Yeah, I just think people, they love the talent, rightfully so. 
and it might fan. start lower and, and creep up with all the reports of good news. Shane McClanahan right now has earned $12 and is the 17th best pitcher. That number seems low for the 17th best pitcher. Hmm. But the, the, earned, the earned value, you mean? Yeah, doesn't that seem light? Yeah, but uh, I suppose he's already losing innings on the people ahead of him. Yeah. No, I, I mean, mean I got, Cole is at 15th. $27. He's 15th on the Rotowire calculation, so that's the right ballpark. Yeah, 15th, 17th. And, but it's going to get worse if he doesn't pitch anymore. But he still will have returned good value. I mean, there's there's worse situations. Rodone, Severino. <laughs> uh, who are the who are the first rounders though? Cole uh, is number one. Strider, uh, Cole and Strider are your your two easy first round pitchers right now. Are those two? And they made it. Uh, was Woodruff a, a turn in the second? Mm, Woodruff, if I remember correctly, was two three turn. I'll pull it up here in just a second. And then Corbin Burns, I think, was still a back of the first rounder in some drafts, but not all drafts. He's he's returning twelfth. He's twelfth. So those first three picks were okay ones. They yeah, worked out. Garrett Cole just keeps doing Garrett Cole stuff. But Shane, what was Shane? A second rounder. I think he was a second rounder. I think Shane McClanahan was consistently ahead of Woodruff. Again, this is off memory. I'm pulling right. up the report here. I've got an ADP here on the auction calculator, but I'm not, this, I don't trust those. <laughs> Love the auction calculator. Don't trust the ADP because I always forget when it takes the snapshot and how often it yeah, actually exactly. gets adjusted. Where did you, okay? Where did you think McClanahan was going? What was your, uh, what was your memory on this one? Mid second. I'm going to look at March drafts only. I should have this saved. It should be just nailed to the wall. McClanahan. Great podcasting. Great podcasting. <laughs> McClanahan had an ADP of 39 in March. Oh, that's across all formats. Yeah. It's a little later than I remembered. I thought he was in the second round. Maybe, maybe for some of the main boards that were circulating... Well, so he's not going to go up from there. But uh, how 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 do you feel about a return of you know twelve dollars and one hundred and fifteen innings on a third round pitcher? I don't feel that bad. You'd be you're disappointed. disappointed, but you're not you're not blaming him for it's not failure your within the league. Here's how this went down. Okay, Shohei Otani being both. You can't use him as both in SBC. He was the first pitcher, air quotes, off the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to count him as that. It was Cole first. This is this is just the last week of March. Cole was the first pitcher off the board, kind of end of round one. Corbin Burns was right there with them. I think you're very happy with Cole, especially if you, in the head-to-head, you preferred Cole to Burns. You were right. You've received more value so far. Strider was the next pitcher off the board, kind of in the middle of round two. DeGrom, which unfortunately was big injury bust. Sandy Alcantara. How happy are you mm. with Sandy right now? If you took Sandy up there in the late part of round two. Yeah, Sandy, I don't know what he has returned. He's the biggest healthy bust in baseball this year, I feel like. Yeah, because the ERA, well, there's two reasons. The ERA has been up above four. The whip's been just around 1.2. cost you money. Four wins. This <gasps> cost you $7 by the auction calculator. 99th best pitcher. If you had had Clark Schmidt, you would have done better. That's unbelievable to me like, I, I, I didn't, it, there's there's sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time and 
not having Sandy Alcantara was more about that for me in the snake drafts I was in this year. I wasn't telling people to avoid him. I just thought, eh, not for me, that spot. I'll, I'll take someone else. I'll do something else here. Aaron Nola, Shane McClanahan, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander. That rounded out the top 10 pitchers. That was, again, counting Shohei Otani as part of that. If you don't count Otani, Brandon Woodruff creeps in. Most of those are good deals. I mean, Woodruff missed a ton of time. He just came back. So, hey, since we're talking about Woodruff, the line was pretty good for his first start back. Nine Ks, just two earned runs, five innings pitched, no walks through 85 pitches. Ended up taking a loss because the Brewers couldn't score any runs. But how did you feel about the, the arsenal? How did it look compared to typical Woodruff numbers and what we saw at the very beginning of the season before that nearly four-month-long absence? I thought it looked good. I thought it looked good. I thought he was near dominant and, um, you know, it just uh, it wasn't, you know, a perfect line, but nine strikeouts, zero walks, and five innings. I know it was also Pittsburgh, um, but, uh, and two homers is not ideal, but he kept him solo. And uh, in terms of his velo, uh, uh, let's give him one more start. It's uh, also, you know, sitting 95.6 is down from where he was, but um, it's also pretty good still. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know. I'm not singing. I'm not ringing the alarm bells yet. I'm way in on this being a good first start back and, it's important for the Brewers, but it's very important. If you waited this out from a fantasy perspective, that's a long time with no IL spots. If you had IL spots, that wasn't as big of a deal. I think you're I think pretty that, excited about what you saw overall. I think the hardest thing is going to be like, what if he's okay uh, for a little bit and the, the velo thing ends up being a little prescient and it's he's not great. It's like I have him in uh, Otternew, uh in the Experts League where there's a price attached to him, right? Mm. So you're in this keeper league, and Brandon Woodruff is a $31 pitcher for me there, right? There's going to be a, a, a tough decision waiting for me at the end of the season where, you know, do I want him at a 30... There's an automatic increase in the auto news. So do I want him at $33 um, given what he's done? And I think if the velo comes up a little bit, I think I might keep him because I tend towards keeping expensive guys when my team is in contention. Um, and you know, hoping that, you know, I've got Gossman glass now Woodruff at the top of that rotation with Kirby. It's like, well, that's, this could be an amazing rotation. I'm, you know, right now in third. So it's like, yeah, I think I would keep Woodruff for $33, but if it's, if he doesn't get the velo back and the, the, the answers aren't as good, and the results aren't as good uh, going forward. I may not. So I, th- I think he's still, you know, a, a tough decision in some keeper leagues. Yeah, I think in leagues with salary components, especially, you're going to see a good number of teams willing to throw Brandon Woodruff back as a non-keeper. And we'll see what happens with that price once he's back up in drafts here in 2024. But the, 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 the smoke that's gathering is not great. I mean, every there's been a couple of like near escapes where you're like, well, you can't feel your fingertips, and like, oh, that's thoracic outlet, you're in trouble, and then it ends up being Ray Nodes or something, and he comes back and he's fine. You know, it's like there there's gathering smoke around uh, Brand Woodruff, right? I mean, there's other people that might that might be, you know, I know there's people who have a, a a bigger distaste for injury risk and would say that he's they're already totally out on him. 
It could be because if you play the the workload game with Brandon Woodruff, I mean, look back at his career last it's, year: one fifty three and a third, one seventy nine and a third the year before that. One twenty one. Those ones convinced me that he could be a horse, you know. Yeah, but if you look back further, there there's lower numbers. Yeah, it's just it's not it's not quite what you'd expect to see you, you, when you in your mind you're like oh there's got to be at least one two hundred inning season in there. No, there's not. There's only two above one fifty. Yeah. So that's uh, it's going to be tough. But I think these next uh, next couple months with a lot of these injured guys, they will reveal a ton about our expectations for the future. My one thing that I would say, just like you know, generally, and when it comes to uh, pitching strategy and stuff, is that you can, um, you know, focus on bulk in the middle innings. And you know, I think I did that in my main event with uh, Jordan Montgomery, uh, Jamison Tyon, and I forget who else. But you know, these sort of, you know, uh, maybe a Michael Lorenzen type or something where, you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, he'll at least give me 120 innings. He's been pretty healthy. You know, he hasn't given up a ton of innings. He hasn't done a ton of innings in the past, but he's coming off a good season as a starter. I don't know. It, take Lorenzen's name out, but you you get the sort of tie on. Uh, 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 who was the other name I said? Montgomery. Montgomery, right? Like innings eater, you know, kind of boring. You can still get in trouble there. I mean, for every for every Jordan Montgomery, there's a Jameson Tyon, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I would just say that I like to mix in injury risk with uh, other types of risk and have a kind of a diverse approach to risk in my in my rotations. Yeah, I'm looking through the ADP report, just the late pitchers and thinking about the players I liked and, and what the, it hasn't been, it's been a really strange year. It hasn't been this group of, Oh, these were the obvious late round guys that popped. Like it, it didn't really play out that year. I mean, even going back to the, the injury risk kind of SP three range, which in ADP terms is after pick 100 and usually before pick 160 or so, you know, Chris sale didn't look great at first started to look better. He got hurt again. So, you haven't really been thrilled if you picked him around pick 125, having to just deal with the absences and the ups and downs of having him on your roster. Kershaw was the earliest of that group by the end of March. At least his health was consistent for the first half of the season. Then he got hurt, and we'll see what happens the rest of the year. But you're kind of you're going back from yeah, I was a genius for being on Kershaw to. Oh wait, that's why I got the discount on Kershaw. Yeah, right. so like, now, there, there it is. There's the other you're, shoe. You're, you're taking your medicine now in that regard. Uh, you look at other guys that popped in that range, though. Jesus Lazardo, that was a mm-hmm. big hit. That he was getting the injury discount, didn't have the the old age discount tacked on. Of course, being a younger mm-hmm. starter, but there were a lot of questions about whether or not Lazardo could just stay healthy as a big league starter over a full season, and he's gone. A long way over the past calendar year plus now of of suggesting that he might be able to do that. I liked Freddie Peralta in this range. He stayed healthy. The velo is good. We've talked about him maybe being capable of a big second half. It needs to happen for him to really make value in this range. Dustin May, injury discount. Oops, that didn't work out, unfortunately. Mm. So it, it was a, a bit of a a minefield in this range where you just you could make a lot of mistakes. Tyler Glass now also went in this range are you happy with tyler glass now in 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 leagues where you didn't have an il spot around pick 150 
I've been thinking about this one a lot because I did buy some. Uh, I did buy a fair amount of glass now shares, and in fact, I I, I do want to point out there's you know, basically two months left still. So mm-hmm. you know if he is healthy for the next two months and you know gets up to 120 125 innings, that's kind of where I had the over under. If I get 125 innings of a three ERA this in this offensive environment with the that 35 percent strikeout rate, then uh, I'm going to be 100% fine with it. Um, so there, there is a little bit of TBD on this, but you know, another way I look at it is I think that you know, I think that the offensive environment has taken guys that might have you know had okay seasons and been productive and maybe stratified it to where like the guys who are are struggling have like six and seven year raise you know what i mean like there's something about the pitch clock and when like things are going downhill i feel like pitchers can't stop it anymore and i feel like also with the the health issues continuing uh you know teams sometimes are just leaving people out there to die on the mound i mean you know that ben lively situation was awful you know, uh, where they just let him give up like 18 runs or something and, and then put him on the IL at the end of the game because they didn't want to, you know, go to any other arms. So, um, you know, there's been this weird stratification where the deep sleepers, and I'm going deeper than what you're talking about even, um, it's been harder to hit on them. So, for example, I have uh, my deep, I have 10 deep sleeper pitchers, right? And I, and I did, uh, I, if I was more embarrassed about this, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't bring it up. But uh, I did, I did okay. I think I'm, this is 400 plus ADP. So these are deep ones. Braxton Garrett, I would call that a hit so far. Ken Waldachuk, that's a swing and a miss. Uh, Mitch Keller, I, you know, it hasn't been as great recently, but in some, I think you'd still take it. Tyler Magill, that's a miss. Um Kyle Gibson, I think, uh, I don't know actually where to put him. He's been useful in deeper leagues, I guess I'd say. Probably a slight hit because 11 wins is a, a big deal. Ratios aren't great, but bulk with Ks, 117 Ks and 11 wins in a deeper league is all right. Yeah. Uh, then when 500 plus, Matt Brash, I mean, not as a starter, but uh, if you had him on your team, you're probably getting some actual uh, uh, value out of him. Uh, DL Hall. He's that's been an injury thing. Brian Abreu uh, didn't become a starter, so these a lot of misses. Shintaro Funjami, big, big, big miss, and then I end with Tyler Wells, who I think even with uh, what's happening right now, I think you have to call a hit at 580p. You have to have a very deep league to even go to 500. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I would say that's a that's a. What my point is, that's about you know I I, I still am proud of it because I think you know that's like a 40 percent hit rate uh on on uh pitching prospects that you could take 400 plus so i'll 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 take that i think that's it maybe it's a little bit worse than average for me but it's it's okay but i also have a hitter sleepers uh from that same time uh done in the same format 10 guys and uh they're all hits I mean, Max Kepler at 400 plus ADP, I don't think you hate it, but maybe it's not the best. But Condelario's on that list. J.D. Davis is on this list. J.P. Crawford is having the season of his career. Michael Massey might be a miss, but he's turning it around. Adam Frazier was a hit. Like, Have you looked at his numbers? Uh, Nolan Jones, is, it took a while to get going, but I think he's a hit. And then a miss here with Stone Garrett uh, and maybe Trevor Larnack uh, and Josh Smith. But that's already, you're talking 600 ADP when you're talking about those guys. So. Uh, I would say that my hitter list actually did better relative uh, to my pitching list. And I wonder if that is because of the pro offense uh, 
rule changes. The pitch clock, the stealing the bases, the everything. The, the ball's even flying a little better. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely could be a part of that. And, and thinking about uh, you know, where the top-end pitchers came from this year, seeing that many of those starters were drafted early or reasonably early. I guess the biggest exceptions were Nathan Evaldi at a discount just outside the top 200. That He's was been a big, hurt. big tout of mine, yeah. Big hit, though, because you got $23 worth of value so far. He's been like a top five starter up to this point. He'll fall if he's not healthy enough to pitch. Zach Eflin was one of the big late hits. That was If if you're in on Eflin and your reason was the Rays signed him to a multi-year deal, the reason doesn't matter. If you were in, you were right. He's a pretty been, good multiple pitches and command guy. Right. And so on the, on the waiver episode on Friday, we were talking about Zach Littell a little bit, and he has some of those characteristics, right? I mean, the Rays have a clear balls. type. Decent yeah. It, it, sometimes it takes a little time for it to all come together, but sometimes oh, yeah. it's also just an opportunity. Pitcher is 100%. Like, yeah, there's definitely value in a guy that's been struggling but has pitches and can put them together. Like, that's definitely something that I look for uh, in pitching sleepers. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I was trying to make a point on the Friday show to say that it's not just the Rays that do this. Like the Rays get a lot of credit for doing it, but plenty of other teams find a pitcher that some other team was using in a different role, and they change some things. They bring back pitches. They add something. Do you think, do you think there's anyone from this deadline that people are not really talking about that could actually, with a fresh start, emerge to be a little more interesting than we thought. I mean, the Bailey Falter was sort of interesting in Philadelphia and getting more runway, getting a chance in Pittsburgh. I'm sort of curious to see what adjustments he can make. He's going to get more chances to start there, at least in the short term, than he would have as without the trade. He was stuck. He was stuck at AAA. He wasn't going to get another chance anytime soon for the Phillies. Yeah, I mean, those... Uh, he's he's the guy that stuck out to me and because I don't think... Uh, Weathers may have a chance, but I actually kind of think that Weathers' future, Ryan Weathers in in uh, Miami may be in the pen because we can see him maxing out at, at 97 and he doesn't have great shape on his fastball. So one way to, you know, outstuff a bad shape on your fastball is to just throw it harder and harder, you know. So if he's at 107, what if you just keep him to one inning? You can get him up to 108, 109, you know, like does he have that in there? 
Um, and uh, that could be a way to you know make him a, a sweeper guy, give him a, a 90 mile an hour cutter and have a 97 mile an hour fastball. And who cares if it's not the best shape? I mean, this has worked for them with Jesus Cesardo. You know, and maybe that even works in, as a starter. Uh, you know, if they can just you know get the get the velo out out of him like they did with Lazardo. Who who else was traded at the deadline that we should be thinking about? So Bailey Falter. We'll start with him. I'll, I'll pull up a couple more names. Do you think there's anything interesting with him that the Pirates can can tweak? Yeah, I mean, uh, he's got a really interesting uh, release, and you know, I think he's uh, not someone that is uh he's super obvious in terms of um you know being able to pick him up i think he at least works uh you know when you haven't seen him very often um the model always like kind of liked his change up but he told me that the model was wrong and that his change up sucks <laughs> so <laughs> source uh, picture himself yeah exactly so um uh, i don't know uh i don't know uh you know what the what the plan is with him uh but uh again yeah two at least league average breaking balls and uh, there's always role change and stuff like that that can you know make him more useful or coax something out of him but good command and that's that's a part, step one of the Eflin process the other guy that I think was popular from the weekend in some more competitive leagues was Cole Reagans, you know, getting yeah. a chance in Kansas City. So what do you see in that arsenal and Kansas City's track record getting pitching to reach its full potential in recent years has been poor, but do they have something to work with the Reagans? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, because, uh, you know, we, we've seen as a, a velo boost for Reagans. Uh, and that happened even before the trade, so they don't have to they don't have to coax that out of him, you know. Uh, a little bit it's a little bit um, related to uh, some role change, like he, you know he he throws harder in um, shorter stints, right? So it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, but he's he's even in his last game because in his last game he 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 pitched five innings or six innings, ninety four nine. Uh, and last year he was 91-92, so uh, the the velo is is sticking around. Uh, I think that's good news. Um, and uh, you know I think there's uh, enough there. In fact, uh, Cole Reagans was one of my favorite uh, pickups this uh, this past uh, uh, pickup period. I I know that I'm going to be nervous throwing him uh, <laughs> against Boston. Get a twice this week. I see a league average fastball, an above league average cutter, above league average curve, uh, and maybe a good enough change that you're like, hey, this is this is four pitches, and you can just mix it up and, and decent command. So I like Raggins. I, I picked him up in a bunch of leagues. Yeah, he kind of made the rundown on Friday for having the two starts, and uh, Chase Silseth was not discussed on Friday, and he was picked up in a few places where available because he had 12 Ks against the Mariners on Sunday. Only four earned runs allowed over his last three starts since rejoining that rotation in Anaheim after the All-Star break, a 26-3 to strikeout-to-walk ratio during that span. That was just 17 and two-thirds innings. That was against the Mariners, Atlanta on the road, and I think the Yankees without judge, but not an easy stretch of schedule whatsoever. And certainly there's opportunity for Silseth if he continues to pitch well. It seems like he's made some adjustments, having spent some time in the bullpen, going to the AAA. It just doesn't look like the exact same guy that we saw debut a season ago. 
No, uh, he has an entirely new breaking ball, I believe. And uh, I'm trying to see what uh, Stuff thinks of it, but I'm just looking at movement profiles and his uh, slider, you know, now has uh, three to four inches more break uh, than it did uh, in the early season. Um, and it also uh, doesn't go as hard uh, in terms of the average uh, slider velo. He's down to 81, 82, where he was more 83, 85 early in the season. Uh, that's a that's a, a definite trade-off uh, because, you know, velo on breaking balls is super important. Um, and so... You know, it's actually kind of funny. Stuff Plus liked the slider a little bit before, and it likes it a little bit now. So you know, it actually hasn't uh, changed that much in some because what he gave up in velo, he gained in movement. Um, it, you know, this model has never really liked his splitter, but I think that uh, that's something that it just may be missing something because um, you've got uh, good grades on the splitter in terms of scouting grades and, and in terms of what people think of Chase Silthus. You know, right? Isn't that his? That's his pitch. Yeah. Uh, the slider is getting the best results right now. Opposing hitters are hitting 097 against it and slugging 161. But between the slider and the splitter, he's got two pitches that get a good number of whiffs. And he gets some whiffs with pretty much everything he throws. But he's become uh, a guy that uses a deeper arsenal. It's five pitches that he's using at least 10% of the time right now. Between the four-seamer, the sinker, the cutter, the splitter, and the slider. That's a lot of ways to attack hitters. And a splitter, you know, with a 182 average or 364 slugging, I mean, that's not great. Um, but yeah, put in the context of of other pitches, I feel like uh, this is a useful one. I would say that um, I just uh, I might like Raggins just a little bit more. Um, just an 80 mile an hour breaking ball uh, is just smells more like a curve to me, not necessarily a slider, you know. Um, and I kind of feel, I, I don't know. I don't know why I like Raggins a little bit better. I, I like Raggins a little bit better, but I think they're both, uh, on the cusp, especially if you're talking about a 12 team league, they are definitely matchups, uh, plays and neither of them I think is, uh, you know, you have to pick them up, right? I don't think they're in a 12 team, but in a 15 team league, uh, they're matchups plus maybe matchups plus put on your bench type thing. Yeah, I, I think that's the the right way to uh, to look at them right now. But I, I would not, I would not be discouraged by what we saw upon arrival last year from Silsith for all the reasons we talked about. This is a different look and good velo on top of all that too. Uh, we had another player return. We talked about Brandon Woodruff a little bit earlier. Max Fried came back on Friday, six scoreless, eight Ks, no walks, got the win. He was really, really good and. You think about the the things that could go wrong for Atlanta come the postseason. For me, it would be starting pitching doesn't hold up or the bullpens running on fumes. They've done a good job adding depth and, and having plenty of quality guys in that group. But a healthy Max Freed is sort of a, a big part of them being probably the most dangerous team in the league come playoff time. I think they were probably that without him. But getting Freed back is just huge for them because you got Spencer Strider and Max Freed is one of the better one twos you could have in a series. Yeah, and I wonder uh, there was a big sort of discussion. Uh, we've uh, we had the the Bryce Elder is blue on Savant uh, discussion, and uh, I don't know when that was, but I'm just going to take uh, July one 
as a marker here and uh, 6.60 ERA. He's got 13 strikeouts in his last 30 innings. And 12 walks. Yeah. So uh, I guess the in the battle uh, over StatCast, Blue wins uh, on this one. I think it's also just, uh, I mean, in terms of scouting pedigree and, you know, what people expected, I think, you know, Elder was... Uh, just uh, a person that people liked based off of uh, minor league numbers. You know, I don't even think the scouts liked him as much. So, um, yeah, that was a, an interesting uh, moment in time. And I think that means that, the, the yeah, like I agree with you, Braves need Freed. And uh, I don't know what's the rotation now. I think people are worried about Morton. I see Morton as a guy with the, still has the elite breaking ball, but does n- never had elite command, um, and the fastballs, you know, kind of sloughing off, and so, you know, he kind of drops in my rankings a little bit every time. But I, he still throws ninety five. He still has that curveball. So I'm, uh, I'm still going to go to 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 battle with Charlie Morton and uh, Sensor Strider, obviously uh, first or second best pitcher in the big leagues. Now you got Freed. Uh, I guess Elder stays in the rotation. Um, but Chirinos uh, and Elder are the back end right now. I think Soroka has another chance to to take that back. Um, none of these guys are going to be in the playoff rotation, I guess. Probably not. Uh, we had a question from OJ about Yanni Chirinos. So he goes to Atlanta. He's raised side to Statcast guy. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, the so OJ did some splits on the pitching pitch modeling leaderboard over at Fangraphs and saw Yanni had a, a much better stuff number just in the brief time he was with Atlanta. So is there anything going on there? Any adjustments he's made or just a a small sample blip? Oh, that's interesting. Let me see. The first, the first place I look always is uh, usage, and yes, look at that, hundred percent. That's amazing. That uh, <laughs> really, uh, you just gotta look at usage because with Atlanta, uh, he has thrown the splitter forty percent of the time. I guess it actually started with Tampa. I was a little surprised, given their need for innings, that they that Tampa let him go. Were willing to let him go. Just he's had enough success there. I know it's a lot of lost time due to injuries. I mean, between the shortened season in 2020, injuries knocked him out for all of 2021. Like seven innings last year, trying to get back. So he threw 18 and a third innings over three seasons. So I, I mean, I get it, but 3.74 ERA, 1.17 WHIP for his career. Not a not a bad resume. There's also uh, a, a weird thing going on. So you know, there's disagreements on sinkers. I think Sam Mole, you know, is an example of this. Where I think Driveline has a sinker as as average or maybe a little bit above average, I, and uh, my model has it below. Um, so sinkers is is a place where models disagree. And then there's also uh, very interestingly, this year the sinkers are uh, doing better relative to other pitch types than they have in the past, and I don't know if that's just because uh, like players are all in on focusing on on hitting the high fastball, the high four seam, um, and they've been training on that for a while, and they've let you know some of their sinker training go. Maybe they don't see sinkers as much, so they're not being trained by in-game uh, play, and also uh, the sinkers they do see are probably uh, better ones than they were in. The the past um uh, so you know yanni chernos bryce elder sam mole like these guys are all 
guys that are that are sinker uh, primarily. I don't see anything in the movement or velo numbers that changes, other than I would say you know uh, only capturing a period of time uh, where he threw the splitter forty percent of the time uh, and has become kind of a a two pitch pitcher with the the splitter and the sinker. That's uh, probably what's showing up in uh, when you when you check them out. And I think that the the, uh, the Braves are fine with that uh, because they're going to barely get five innings. They got three point two innings from him one time and five innings the next time. Uh, I don't know how useful that makes him in fantasy. I mean, that's eight and two thirds innings with seven earned runs for Atlanta. So. Yeah, and OJ's situation was a four by four NL only league, so an old school NL only league. I think wow. that's kind of like that means no strike case. I mean, to no strikeout, that's good for Yanni. Like, that that takes away a category where he's a slight negative, Except even when he's good. I wonder good. if he's going for the strikeouts with all these splitters. Well, it'll make him more effective if he can get the K rate up from the 13% right, it's right. been so yeah. far this year. So I think there's at least a chance that Yanni can keep a spot over Bryce Elder if the Braves reach a point where they have to choose between the two because Elder has really, really struggled in the why would the Rays give up on him question. Not the first player we've seen this season. I believe this is the last year Yanni Torinos has minor league options left. So after the season, can't send him down without passing him through waivers. Getting ahead of that, having a pretty crowded roster, that's probably a big part of why Tampa Bay decided they were okay with moving on. Thanks for that question, OJ. got one here from Archer. Archer had a question about Jose Abreu. He's in a 12-team AL-only Roto League. I've been stuck with Abreu, and he's slumping again. You guys talk about playing time being important, but at what point is it more important to just take the better player? I think this is a related question. Also, how do you see Mike Moustakas' at-bats playing out in the future? It might be an alternative available in the case of Mike Moustakas. But to the first question, Abreu for a little while, looked like he was going to turn it around. It seemed like there was a, a window in late May, June, where he started to hit a little bit. The numbers are still bad for the season. The K rate's still up. The barrel rate's still at a, a low, really an all-time low for him at 7%. It's not a case where he's pounding the ball on the ground and hitting it hard. He's not doing that. 39.5% is the second lowest hard hit rate he's ever posted as a big leaguer. In a mono league, this still is probably okay because a lot of the alternatives will play less than a Abreu, so your runs, your RBIs are still going to be better from a guy struggling than from someone who plays well in a part-time role. But using Moustakis as a comparison, I don't think Moustakis' playing time share in a crowded Angels infield is necessarily as large as what Abreu is going to get. But can he make up the difference by being a better per plate appearance player if, if they're using him mostly against righties and sitting him against lefties? I mean, if if he has a full-time lefty role, <laughs> putting that in, 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 in air quotes, you know, like uh, it's not full-time, but if he's like basically in two-thirds of a platoon, um, I think I could give Mustakas the stamp of approval here because, you know, they're definitely the, the supporting numbers uh for his offensive output are pretty good but um does he have that when trout comes back so you've got trout grichik moniac is one platoon probably renfro is you throw him in all the time otani's the starter dh uh whoever rengifo or or netto at, at short it's it rendon if rendon is back Maybe there's a chance here. So Mustakis, 
Drury. Neto's hurt again right now, too. So Renifo's so playing short. Playing. So maybe between all those injuries, Moustakas is just going to have a full-time lefty role going forward, right? Because uh, even if Neto comes back, Renhifo is a righty, so it would be Renhifo or Drury. Uh, oh, no, Renhifo is a, a switch hitter. Yeah, Moustakas mm. only I think it's sat all on four Rendon, times. Dude. I think it's all on Rendon. And he's shut down for at least two weeks after a bone bruise on July 22nd. So we should be getting new news soon. So my advice would be, if this was my team that I was running, I would be waiting for that update on Rendon. Because I think if Rendon comes back, it gets a little hairy for Moustakas. I think I'd be tempted to just take Moustakas at this point, if that was a choice that I had. I mean, I think... Oh, Abreu has not... I mean, hard hit rate on Fangraphs is... Um, is baseball info solutions, so it's a stringer. But he, Jose Abreu, has zero hard hits in August and had 26% in July, um, and he peaked at 35% in June. He has he had like a 400 slugging in in July, uh, 420, and a 105 in in August. Like it's not it's not good. In fact, the first and second half numbers line up almost exactly, except for a difference in walk rate. So are you buying? A 267, 335, 431 rest of season line from Abreu with like a half dozen homers. His projections are better than Moustakas's by kind of a lot, and I'm just not sure I buy it. The power numbers are projected to be very similar. So if you think Moustakas plays as much, he has to exceed the projection he has anyway to earn that playing time, which he's been doing. I don't know. I actually, I think this could actually work out just fine. And I'm at the point now, maybe it's because I believed in Anthony Rendon for so long. I've gone the other way. I've gone full heel. <laughs> I, I lean Abreu. I lean Abreu, uh, especially in only leagues. I lean towards uh, the boring guy that'll get in there and, and just get me, <laughs> you know, chip away at RBI and, and runs an RBI and, you know, whatever I get, I get. I would lean towards Abreu. All right, we've got a few more mailbag questions we'll get to. Thanks for sending that one in, Archer. Zach on Twitter wanted to know, what is our take on Miguel Vargas going forward for Dynasty Leagues? The simple answer for me is he had a thumb injury going all the way back to spring training. I'm not convinced that that ever quite got right. They didn't really give him that much time off. He's down in the minors right now. Um, did you see anything from Vargas during this season, Eno, that would lead you to be less optimistic about him in the future? I mean, it's just such a low swing rate that it 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 I feel like it puts so much pressure on when he does swing. Um, I do wonder how that feeds into his uh, his thumb injury because there was this iconic moment where he wasn't allowed to swing, and they just they had all these people at the WBC, so they had they had to play him in spring, and uh, he just wasn't allowed to swing, and he still got a bunch of walks. I wonder how that affected his. Uh, his uh, approach once he got to the big leagues. Um, a 109 max EV and a 6% barrel rate. The, uh, I just, the name that, uh, that gives me the willies when I look at uh, uh, lineups, like, when I look at you know, stats like this is, is Abraham Toro. Now, come on, don't Abraham Toro him. No? I thought you were going to say Jose Miranda. I thought you were going to say it was like that. No, he has a better walk rate. I mean, he, like he's a better... He has better plate skills than Miranda. Definitely. Definitely better plate skills. And but I think better defensive value. Yeah, probably. I think. Yeah. Uh, Vargas is going to get another chance. I love the 239 ISO in, in AAA. I don't love the fact that his max EV in AAA has been 
So he's still not hitting the ball hard. However, I also know this. I don't know if he went already, uh, but if he hasn't, uh, you know, they did send a bunch of players to driveline for uh, weighted bat, like sort of bat speed training. And if he hasn't done that, uh, he could really take off with this because he has all the skills in terms of plate uh, recognition, contact ability, uh, really good uh, foundational skills. If you could just boost that max EV to like 111 and the barrel rate to like 9, 10%, he could really explode. So I think there's like still a lot of reason to be excited about him. Um, and uh, I would buy him cheap if I could. Yeah, love trying to trade for Miguel Vargas right now. If I'm playing for the future, playing for now, I mean, sure, playing for now, you could stash him if you've got enough spots, but I think he's a great buy low right now coming off of this disappointing season. There's a reason why the Mariners traded for Toro, and I think that's, the, and they trade for players like him, which is you start with a foundation of a good plate discipline and contact, and you hope they grow into the power. And I feel like you can talk about that uh, intuitively, anecdotally, about how many people in the past have had good plate skills and grew into the power. And I bet you there's research that suggests that those guys are good, like Jake Cronenworth types. Like, you know, this is, we, we, we're we establishing a little bit of a maybe a Dave Cameron type here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if they do all these things well, other than the power, then, you know, could you coach them into the power? Can you, can you be more selective at the plate even uh, you know, like target high fastballs and so on and so forth. Like, are there, there are different strategies to or, or bat speed training. Like, J.P. Crawford is having the season of his of his career uh, due to bat speed training, and it's not like he suddenly became a thirty homer hitter. It's just you know, hey, him with twelve to fifteen homers is a lot better than him before. Yeah, man, yeah, just maxing out with what you have. I think that's uh, always worth doing, and I, I think with Vargas, we're seeing. Better results in his brief time with AAA than we've seen from Abraham Toro during his time at that level. Vargas being a lot younger, too, gives him some time to, to get That's right. True. But I think so much of what we've failed to see on the power side from Vargas this year goes back to that thumb injury. They just didn't give him time off. I think if they give him some time off to heal, gets back at it this offseason, he'll get there. Uh, one more question here. This one's from Kelly on Twitter. What's going on with my guy, Mason Miller? I mean, the A's, I think, are playing him real slow through that rehab because in in reality, he may need to be carefully handled for two more seasons, given all the time he's lost due to injury throughout his career. I mean, he threw a bullpen session this weekend and uh, live hitters next week. And I think part of that process of carefully managing him is getting him to any sort of number this year that you can get him to is healthy, you know, <laughs> like any sort of number. Because for 2022, the innings number was 14. So <laughs> for 2023, the innings number is 28, 29. So if they could just get it to 30 or 40, then maybe they can get it to 60 or 70 next year. It's just... It's uh, it's as exciting stuff as it is unexciting uh, bulk. <laughs> right. And I think the plan, I, th I think you have to try, if you can get him back through a rehab assignment, it's going to take a few weeks. And like three starts in September, you know? Five, if he somehow by September 1st is ready to come back and just pitch five innings every time out for the rest of the season, that's about six starts, 30 innings there count the rehab innings along the way. If you could just get to 70 or 80 innings, then at least you're talking about 110, 120 being possible Someone who's next more year. more draftable next season. 
Yeah, but it's gonna be it's gonna be really tough to rely on Mason Miller. What is in it? What is that number for you? I mean, he's at twenty nine right now. Uh, like, what if he if he gets to fifty, he's not draftable for you next year? Probably not. I mean, maybe for. Do you like players like this more in leagues where you can get them off the roster when they are inevitably unavailable, either because they're hurt or because they're shut down? Yeah, for it seems like a management? poor bet in draft and hold. Where you're like. Okay, I'm drafting him in draft and hold because I know those 50 innings are going to be awesome. Well, when are those 50 innings going to come? Do you get all those 50 innings because sometimes they like, you know, they activate him or, you know, send him down at the wrong times and you're like, ah, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, I was thinking it's a little bit counterintuitive in, in my head. I'm like, you know, I kind of like him more in a 50 round format because I look at my rosters just anyway. like, I just want 50 innings from this guy at some point. A bunch of guys break. And you can't replace him. So it, it comes back to a version of the conversation we had about Rodon earlier, where it's like, you don't want four or five guys that have really limited innings. But if he's super cheap, Mason yes, Miller, where I just get him whenever he's around, I don't have to worry about playing the game of, oh, do I wait two weeks for him to come back? Like, that's the hard part of leagues where you can cut him. You get in trouble still because there are going to be so many guys who have this injury discount. And then, you know, the only way you can do Mason Miller is if you only took one other injury discount or two other injury discounts. Because if you if Mason Miller is like the fifth injury discount guy that you're going to put on your on your draft and hold rotation, like I, I've done this before. It doesn't end well. No, no, it's you get one guy like that with a really tight innings cap. You have to believe a lot in the talent. I think in Mason Miller's case, those lines actually intersect where they need to to justify the gamble but what price are we talking about he's got to go outside the top 300 overall before you're thinking about it right you can't yeah you can't commit a pick in the first 20 rounds to a guy that may only throw 80 innings next year i think it has to be after 25 even because there's just no way that i uh, that i could slot him in in a starter's role in my you know the way like you know he'd he'd have to be in the bench picks and even then i think maybe past 30 because that's like you know there's uh, like my strategy in drafting holes a lot of like six starters uh you know when i get to 30 and 35th round because there aren't that many pitchers around anymore but six starters are going to give you like 100 innings you know so i took a lot of six starters in there and, and you know mason miller versus a six starter we're like this other guy i kind of you know i've talked myself into him. i like this guy a little bit you know and he's a six starter and i think i can get 120 innings out of him might take him over mason miller so i mean that's yeah. that's where he the discussion comes in i think around six starters expectations are already higher for a guy who's not even projected to have a starting job because he's at least a bulk reliever until he gets that opportunity in a lot of cases depending on how how advanced that pitcher is sometimes that six starter is someone you're waiting for at triple a but doesn't matter as much in draft and hold thanks a lot for that question kelly we are going to sign off on our way out the door a quick reminder you can get a subscription to the athletic for just two dollars a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>